0: And I'm the host of the Start Somewhere for Marie Claire podcast and also the Global Chief Purpose and Sustainability Advisor to Marie Claire. And today I'm absolutely thrilled to be joined by the incredible Victoria Jenkins, who is founder of Unhidden Clothing and is also a disability uh, speaker and advocate.
1: Welcome, Victoria. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me and uh, for having this space. I'm excited to uh, well to share more of my story, I suppose. I know, and I've been so <laughs> forward to meeting you as well. It's just a real highlight for me. Thank
0: so Victoria, you. as as you know, we will start this this um, series out by 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 asking, you know how, how you know how did you start somewhere?
1: How how, how did you where did you grow up? Uh, what were your childhood loves and experiences? So I grew up in a teeny tiny village in Oxfordshire um, called Wendelbury, which is really close to Bister Village. Um, I think there's only like 125 houses, something like that. No pub. There was a bus that you had to sort of, if you want to go into Bister town, you had to get the bus from, you had to walk through the graveyard in the church to the side of the A34. <laughs> oh my God. <gosh. laughs> Proper rural. Um, but you know, yeah, so a lot of, yeah, a lot of fond memories. And I still, you know, go back to visit. I've still got friends that live there and, and my mum my now lives in a, a different village, but sort of very much the same feel. Um, I used to do but ba- I mean I'm one of six actually we'll start with that no. so I like six kids wow yeah. your mum is amazing <laughs> <laughs> or amazing or a glutton for punishment I'm not <laughs> sure uh, I mean she loves babies I mean well obviously you'd have to <laughs> wouldn't um, you we were all born so close together and we were born like boy girl boy girl boy girl as if it was on purpose <laughs> um, <laughs> My goodness. Yeah, I mean, my oldest brother is, and I'm the second oldest, so my older brother is, wait, how old am I? My older brother's 36, and then my youngest sister just turned 27. So I think she had sort of, all six of us were under the age of 10, at you know, when we were younger. So that's what I mean by glutton for punishment. (laughs) I mean, I just can't imagine the headache that must have caused. Um, But we're all super close. So it was a lot of fun, I would say.
0: Wow, I mean that's just amazing because often in big families, not not everyone does get
1: on, and there's often a schism around number three or four. (laughs) Well, I mean number three or four might agree with that statement. (laughs) <laughs> but no, yeah, yes, no. We're all, we are all really close, but you know, obviously, uh, childhood arguments sort of pale into nothingness when you grow up, or at least they have for us. So. Oh,
0: which is so lovely. And and yeah. you know, as as a child, I mean, like, what were your passions?
1: So I wanted to be a dancer, um, a ballet dancer. So I mean, my poor mum. Thankfully, I think not all of the girls wanted to. Otherwise, I don't know how she'd managed it because I was dancing, like going to classes five nights a week and on Saturdays. <laughs> <laughs> so when I commit to things I mean from a young age I commit um so yeah and I'd I just got um started the process with Rada, and then I went for a jog with a friend I don't know what I thought I needed to go for a jog for um and I had a new dancing teacher who was a bit lax with me whereas the one before was very like very strict on what I was allowed to do outside of dance class and uh, I broke my ankle six months later um, and went and had it x-rayed when it still hurt and I had about eight stress fractures um, going up my legs so I had to wear a moon boot for about five months so um yeah that's that's how daft I can be with my own body Oh, my goodness. I thought I was fast. I met someone like he's
0: a whole other time. See? I
1: was like, wow, Victoria. Yeah. Whoops.
0: <laughs> and then, you know, tell us a bit like, I mean, you know, you, you ended
1: up going, you know, towards fashion, but, h- you know, how did, you know, this come about? Um, well, I was always quite arty at school. And that was sort of, you know, when dancing didn't, wasn't going to pan out, that was kind of the option I chose instead. Um, and yeah, so then I went to, I did study fashion design at Instituto Marangoni in the London campus because they've got a few around the world. And, um, well, my purpose came, you know, only really five years ago, despite actually my journey into disability beginning in 2012. Um, but that's, you know, kind of how, how internalised ableism kind of I think expressed itself with me was that I didn't I just didn't think to consider what I now do as an option until it was sort of visibly represented to me by somebody else.
0: Well, and and, and, and you actually did. I mean, you, you became disabled in your twenties. Yes. Are, are you able to
1: share a little? Yeah, of course. About, about what happened for you? Yeah. So I mean, in a running theme, um, I've been going to doctors for. A while, and uh, for about three years, I think. So that was sort of from 23 onwards. And then when I was 26, an undiagnosed ulcer burst um, and put a hole in my stomach. Uh, but I didn't go to A and E for two days. Oh, um, and again, I walked in. So the, you know, the, I mean, a surgeon afterwards sort of maybe promised to never ever do something so silly again. Um, he said, if something mildly irritates you, please just go to A <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God. <laughs> Um so I mean I was very lucky in that I you know I obviously they were able to patch me up and actually the damage inside should have been quite extensive but in yeah. a bizarre twist of anatomy a part of my colon had actually blocked the hole so not as much acid had leaked out into my abdomen um and caused as much damage as it could have done so you know I came round fully expecting either a, I was aware that I was going to come round with some sort of drain probably a big scar um and maybe a stoma, but I didn't have a stoma. So I was sort of in, I suppose, in that respect, quite lucky. But I did have a very big, large skull with um, 26 staples down it. So, oh you know, God. so that was that was the start. And then, you know, again, I thought I would just get better now. You know, I wasn't very well. I haven't felt well for years. I'm sure I'll just get better. And whether it came before, whether it came after the surgery, um, about four months later, I got diagnosed with gastroparesis, which is a paralyzed stomach um and mine was a, a relatively severe case of it so, you know most people when you eat food starts to empty and leave your stomach within half an hour whereas mine was still quite full after 14 hours Um they do tests on it so obviously there's a lot of nausea pain discomfort it's really hard to absorb foods when your stomach isn't working um so that's that condition i also had a diseased gallbladder removed a diseased appendix removed but it wasn't appendicitis um Else? I have two exits from my stomach now they actually surgically attached a second bit of intestine to my stomach so that I have two exits um, and that was after they used to um, I'd have endoscopies where they put a sort of a needle down and basically try and a balloon and p- inflate the opening between my stomach and my intestine and freeze it open with Botox oh my god I think I had that done 15 times um, and then it was just stopping working, so that's when I then had the other the other opening created. So yeah, there was a lot of hospital admissions, and in between all of that, I was working, um, you know, and in the fashion industry, which is famously unforgiving yes. with any kind of time off. So I think you know maybe some of the I don't know maybe some of these things wouldn't have occurred as quickly together as they did had mm. I been able to sort of rest. But you know, it is it is what it is. So yeah, it was in hospital in 2016, and there was a fellow patient. She'd had cancer, and she she didn't. She was in remission from cancer, but she the the chemotherapy had sort of really basically destroyed her bowels. So she had two stoma's, a line in her arm, and she was there to be fitted for a a chest port. And she was amazing when she was. You know, me and her were both mobile, so we would sort of walk around and try and sit next to each other. You know, just for a bit of company, as you do when you're in Mm -hmm. hospital. I think I was in for ten days at that point, and. We just, you know, we just talk about things. And she knew what I was doing for a career. At that point, I was working at Victoria Beckham in the tailoring. Um, and, you know, she, every time the doctors came around, because she had so much going on, there would be about six doctors, wow. and usually all male, and she'd have to take everything off. Yeah, And then even, you know, throughout the rest of the day, she couldn't wear clothes she wanted to. You know, she sort of, she, I think just one day she said to me, you know, I just can't wear anything nice. Mm-hmm. And I thought, do you know what, I'm sure there be something you just won't have found it. There'll be something out there. So I started Googling through my hospital bed and uh well was I mean I was amazed that there wasn't anything or there wasn't very much and that what there was definitely didn't come under her banner of I want to wear something nice.
0: Mm-hmm. It
1: was all, you know, I mean Tommy Hilford had only launched the year before. In 2015, so the you know that was the most common brand to come up, and other than that, everybody else was. It was very much like medical and function over fashion. Yes, and uh, yes, you yeah, the hideous <laughs> And it <laughs> I mean, I mean, thing is, you know, it absolutely serves a purpose. You know, I know some of those brands um, that were around at the time now, so I also feel so awful, sort of having that. But you know, equally, it, there was just no one coming at it from a fashion perspective, and I hadn't mm-hmm. found anyone who'd studied fashion design had a disability. And was also doing adaptive design, so you know, in that in that respect, I kind of am still, I think, one of the few that crosses that border. Um, So yeah, I just the idea took hold, and I thought, right, well, I can do something about this. I can use, you know, like fashion for me. I was getting very sort of disillusioned with working for other companies. That, you know, don't get me wrong, it was a fantastic experience at it to Rebecca, but it was not, you know, that's no one's going to, that's not saving the world by buying a very expensive coat. No. So uh, it was just how could I, how could I actually use everything that I'd learned for good? Because I'd always, even when I did, when I graduated, I was doing, I used to do bespoke wedding dresses and it was an area we really wanted to get into because it was that whole making it something specifically for one person that makes them feel good, that's designed exactly for that person. Yeah. So it kind of, it now feels like i kind of come back round to that. That was what I always really wanted to do when it came to design. That's
0: so, such a beautiful in, in, in intention. And I think, I don't think people necessarily also, I mean, understand about how many people are actually affected by this. No. So, So tell us a little bit about, about kind of, do you mean like the statistics yeah. and 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 you know my understanding is that you know disability is something you know that many people are not born with and it happens to them later in their lives.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I do apologize. I have a lot of stats because I've just, no, I've no, just no, finished, please go for just it. <laughs> finished reading, um, just finished reading. Just finished writing um, the little book of ableism, which is now currently at the printers to be printed. And oh, had it how exciting! <laughs> yeah. So that and that is because I. Tr- with that, I try to because people can get really defensive around ableism, uh, and I try mm-hmm. to do it from a place of real kindness because we don't teach it. So, um, anyway, I'll come back to that. So, yeah, so 15% of the population is disabled, so it's something like one in five people will either have a disability or are born with a disability in the general population, and 44% of pension age people are disabled. So there's kind of a strong leaning, basically, you know, it's far more likely as we age and as we are globally, we're living for longer. So we are becoming disabled just by being older. Um, So it's something that will touch somebody, you know, throughout your life, even if it's a temporary disability, you know, like breaking a limb, for example, Mm -hmm. or something that stays and is far more permanent. And I think this sort of this very, this unwillingness to acknowledge and include disability is, I mean, it's, it's changing, thankfully, but, you know, it's just Thank kind God. of astounds me that we're, that we're here. I mean, I literally just shared a petition today. Um, people with disabilities, and this is in the UK, this is actually UK centric, mm-hmm. um, they lose their benefits if they move in with someone. So we don't have yes. marriage equality. That's shocking, isn't it? Like and that's I've known that, and I thought you know, there's so many things that I know because I've obviously had to with throughout my work. But every time I get reminded of it, and everyone else then goes, "Is that real?" I'm like, "Yep." Like researching for the book, um, I was doing the history of ableism, and that was very very depressing. Um, and then I realized I couldn't include it in the book because it would depress everybody else too. So I'm making it into that's going to go into another book, I think, for another time. But it was only in 2013 that we made it illegal to force sterilization on women who were disabled. I, I mean, that's that's just horrific. Isn't it? I mean, and just because we made it illegal doesn't mean it doesn't still happen either. That's the other problem. Um, so yeah, yeah, so it's, there's just so much, you know, there's so many of us and we touch, you know, people are so keen to be, um, di- you know, to have diversity and equality and inclusion. And then they just, everyone seems to just stop short of including people with disabilities, you know, and it's, it's from a digital perspective as much as it is the world in general. I mean, you know, we had a pop-up shop last week and the space itself didn't have a ramp. And I said, you know, obviously I can't, no. have, I can't be in here without a ramp. So they got one people came in off the street purely because there was a ramp they had no idea what was in there but they were like well you know there's never any ramps and we can't usually come in to very many spaces here so i just thought i saw a ramp so i'll come and have a look and you know i I relayed that to the people that have the space as, as, as well as by law you are actually supposed to be accessible so
0: I thought that was uh, something yeah. that we had to
1: do. Wow, that I mean, that that's
0: totally shocking. And 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 you know, I mean, in the course of 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 of, of,
1: of I mean, how did you start creating this label? I mean, <laughs> do you do mean no, like, like, like God, how did I start? Because it feels like it's been it lived for so long in my brain before um, I managed to get it. You know, everything that we've done, really, we've done probably in the last eight months. Um, wow. And I say we a lot. I mean me. Um, Mm -hmm. I do have two stakeholders. (laughs) I have two stakeholders that are friends that have sort of helped finance it. But, um, you know, one's a doctor and one works in finances. So it it is very much a a, a, a me rather than a we. Um, So I think at the time... I, you know, because obviously, due to that, you know, that woman that I met, it was a case of looking at, you know, if I had a stoma, what would I need? And then even looking at my own body and going, what would have actually helped me after I'd had heart, like all of my surgeries? You know, what is it that I struggle with? And it's, you know, trousers are not designed to sit down in. So <laughs> that, that, they're really,
0: really not,
1: yeah.
0: are they? And, and, no. and, and I mean, I I think I mentioned to you, my my mum had Crohn's disease yeah. and struggled with a stoma for years. And yeah. I mean, just I I saw her problems with trying to find something to wear, and trousers were a nightmare. I mean, sleep yeah. nightmare. And 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 yeah, she you know they were uncomfortable. They pressed on her bag. You know. Yeah.
1: So yeah. I mean, yeah, it's it's a challenge. It's one, I mean, I hope when we expand or as we expand that I'll be able to um, answer it even better because at the moment, you know, the sort of the, the loudest answer was it needs to be high-waisted because it absolutely needs to be above the stoma itself. But, you know, there are some people that have, you know, they have their stomas moved around and some people, you know, not everyone's the same. So there's always going to be somebody that actually needs, you know, a lower one. Like some of the, one of my brand ambassadors, um, she quite likes to wear low like rise jeans, very 90s style but obviously she's limited to get that because even though it's sort of coming back, um, God forbid,
0: um, (laughs) (laughs) yeah.
1: Yeah. So, and then, you know, it's the case of even just the, the choice of fabrics is something you have to consider, you know, like slinky dresses for wheelchair users, you know, that sort of make, they might not be able to feel it, but they don't, you know, they'll sort of slide around in their chair. So that's not comfortable. Um, and then, I hadn't
0: even thought of that. I mean that's such a, a, an important point, isn't it? Yes, you would slide around in your chair and it's like
1: Yeah. And then there's all the bunching up that tends to happen and you know, depending on the length of whatever they bought, it might get covered in spatters from the wheels of their of their chairs. So that's I mean, for seated users there's a lot of considerations, but they're all, you know, they're they're t- what I would say are generally quite small tweaks. So it's really frustrating um that bigger brands with much bigger resources aren't doing it um and then yeah so then the shirt the shirts that we have they came directly from that woman because you know she she had so many lines and obviously she didn't I didn't it was to make sure she didn't have to take her shirt off because we talk a lot about shirts rather than anything else because I think she had quite a formal office job which Mm -hmm. she couldn't dress for um which you know left her feeling sort of embarrassed on a daily basis and just like she couldn't you know dress up nicely. And that's you know it's another thing that you know it might just be clothes, but I think for people with disabilities, if they can't if they can't dress formally for an interview, or if they can't dress you know in office appropriate attire without without feeling pain, I mean we shouldn't have to be dressing people that are going to be in pain from what they wear, and it just leads to you know it's kind of that assumption that people don't need it because people assume that people with disabilities just don't work. So, they don't consider it from that perspective. But then it also. Which is shocking in itself because
0: it's like, how can someone who's disabled even get a job if they can't find the right clothing to go to an interview in?
1: Exactly. And it's also, you know, that whole. So, our social identity is tied up in how we present ourselves to the world. I mean, even if you say, you know, you're not bothered at all about fashion, which, you know, that is not unique to just the disabled community, that's everybody. Some people really aren't bothered, but they still want to be able to get dressed. It is a basic human right. It's, and, it's- and, you know, like so many, I mean, 80% of people with disabilities weren't born with their disability. So that's a whole lot of people that are waking up, well, or like me maybe slowly realizing it, but other people waking up after operations or after accidents that can't wear their own clothes and have to look at them every day knowing that they can't wear them. And we attach, you know, feelings to our clothes and memories. So, mm-hmm. and how, we, you know, when we, when we feel like we look good or like we look well presented or whatever, it's how you sort of, how you see yourself. If you remove that from people, then you know, there's quite a lot of anguish that goes with that. And I think it's really, it's almost like something that people still just don't consider until it happens to them. And then they're outraged, but you know, like I was. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's, it was something I hadn't thought about and even, even when I would have directly benefited from it. It took years for me to realize I could have done with adaptive design. And thank God you did.
0: So, I, I, you know, and you're designing for men and for women.
1: Yes. I mean, kind of, I, I always float contrary to a lot of recommended advice from people because people are doing things the way that they've always been done. And that's kind of, basically, if someone tells me what everyone else is doing, I decide I need to do something different. <laughs> love that. <laughs> just do shirts and just do one gender or just do trousers or just do dresses. And I thought, well, how can I say I'm trying to be an inclusive company and casually ignore everybody or, you know, again, great groups of people. So what we did was there's five men's pieces and five women's. There's, you know, specific seated trousers for both. Then just sort of ambulatory trousers. The shirts cover, you know, dexterity issues as much as they do um, access problems. And the same for the dresses, they just provide a bit of dignity. So it kind of, you know, although I'm keenly aware there are so many more things that each design could do, and Mm -hmm. that's something that I hope to expand into, um, it's just not where we're at yet. You know, you have to start somewhere. I thought starting with a 50-piece collection would be silly. So, um, you know, down to 10 was quite difficult, but I think
0: and, well, I, hope yeah, that- and, uh, I mean, I, I just think it's amazing. Cause I love, I love the way that you actually, you know, the, the pieces are on the website, and then you actually explain who this helps. I mean, that's absolutely beautiful.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it is, it's also a massive problem. <laughs> so, um, digital ableism is, um, something that I'm sort of, I'm with about 54 of us around the world now, other adaptive brands or accessible brands and companies. Um, and we're all impacted in terms of growth because we can't target people with disabilities as a shop on Facebook and on Instagram and through TikTok uh, because they have algorithms that essentially they stop you know fake medicine being peddled to people who are sick, which is absolutely correct. And those, that should right. stay in place. <laughs> but they but don't they seem got to, be able to re- <laughs> Exactly, yeah, exactly. But they don't seem to realize that or they haven't updated or don't, again haven 't recognized that there is a growing trend and need for it they don 't seem to realize that we 're a clothing company, so those images that are annotated when I posted them you know to Instagram and Facebook I mean I think we we were so suppressed in that I think maybe twenty people saw the adverts um and then the adverts got banned anyway for using inappropriate terminology that violated their community guidelines oh, because obviously to to describe medical conditions it's no good using euphemisms you know you have to explain who it's helping and to do that you have to say what their condition is and then what the feature is you know i can't say this is a pair of trousers that helps people who've got catheters without using the word catheters you know and if you say if you start skating around the issue then really we're just falling prey to ableism because it doesn't, it, you know, that's exactly the problem is it's is using euphemisms rather than just stating things as they are. My God, it's. I mean, it just seems like such an extraordinary, like... <laughs> Just thing, just every just, day there's another thing you're like oh for heaven's sake that's just ludicrous
0: that i mean it's not, i'm just, just blown away yeah. by that and and like you know you're making and you're really thinking very consciously about about the fabrics and everything you're 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 making your 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 clothes from so i think i'm right in saying that you know you you, you use dead stock cloth that would go to yes landfill
1: otherwise yeah yes we do i mean it's um that in itself again it was something else i just couldn't Knowing what you know, I know about the industry and also about climate change. It just didn't make sense to me to follow those traditional paths. I mean, don't get me wrong; it would have been simpler, quicker, and we probably have launched sooner. But to you know, with what kind of negative impact in the long run? And I think eventually everyone's going to have to clear up their act because you know, we, if we want to live on this planet, we're kind of going to have to treat it a bit better. Mm-hmm. And there's also, you know, there's so many companies now being super creative around that. So You know, it just made sense for me to. If I start off that way, then I'm not going to have to suddenly pivot an entire supply chain, you know, five years down the road when regulations come in, because regulations are under discussion at the moment, Mm -hmm. you know, like how to stop greenwashing and all the rest of it. So I try and be really transparent, although I still, when having someone work on the website and the whole page about sustainability, I still need to check the copy. Um, so but it is coming and we do, we are going to name literally everybody that we buy everything from nice. you know like i, I get, we our swing tickets are made from plantable paper and that's you know that's a small woman a small business in off etsy um uh, there are other companies doing it that are doing it on a much larger scale but i think as soon as it's on a much larger scale it's really hard to keep track of who's touched it where so like to be able to phone somebody up and ask them about it for me just makes sense but again you know there's been ultimately a fair few sort of problems, but it's also why we only launched in black and white because they're the two most common colors. So the fabrics that we have, I've been, I mean, we actually, we were made to order and we still kind of are, but I'm moving slowly towards small run production Mm -hmm. just because like the charges of shipping things to and from the factory is just, we may as well do it over a big amount of clothing rather than do it per item. Yeah, Um, yeah. Um, and even sourcing that, you know, we had a bit of trouble. But we work with Ambion, uh, which is an incredible circular sourcing platform. I mean, I I spoke to the founder before they'd even launched last year because it was again, it was they just make it easy. You know, I didn't want to spend hours sourcing. It's not the most fun thing to do. And I mean, at least the the good thing about sourcing with dead stock is there's not a huge amount of choice (laughs) you haven't got endless reams of fabric to look at and a million thousand mils which definitely for me just cuts the process down and and, and let's face it black and white work very well for Chanel
0: so it works very well for (laughs) exactly
1: (laughs) and then you know when it comes to um, prints and things like they'll just be limited edition I mean there are some colours you know maybe we'll only have them once so that will be the only time we ever make them I think there's something quite nice about just making you know 50,000 of the same thing in the same color yeah Uh, and me too i i i I, i'm a great fan of that kind of stuff um and and you recently did a
0: shoot you've you've done a very beautiful shoot and all your all your models were were volunteers
1: are these friends of yours Um, no they were our following was much smaller um when because that was in september um and to have 12 people come forward but they weren't all in the uk (laughs) <laughs> seeing as they were volunteers and we couldn't pay them up, you know we absolutely couldn't pay to fly people in mm-hmm. um but you know one day hopefully we'll do shoots some you know in other countries so we'll see um so yeah they i mean they were all off the internet basically mm-hmm. and some of them have gone on to model for other companies and for other adaptive companies which is awesome um and yeah it, i mean that was a magical day i've just well two days it was over, done over a day and a half um, and I don't think that like, they didn't really know what to expect, because I hadn't shown any of the designs at that point. But yeah, no, and it was to see the reaction of, you know, I mean, it was, it was terrifying, because I hadn't shown anybody anything. So to then have, you know, on the on the second day to have what was it nine people um, try everything on. I was like, they, you know, what if they hate it? They could, you know, they could just be being nice. Um, like, thankfully, they're all still super passionate about it, and they pretty much all remained on as brand ambassadors. So, which is great. And I, I yeah. mean, the
0: clothes are beautiful. They they are very elegant and 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 and, and really lovely. And what would be really interesting now is you know we're kind of coming to the stage um you know of, of really what your top tips are you know for people yeah. who, who want to start somewhere and i think you know what would be very interesting is is really um you know probably to to start with you know if people want to become know more educated about like to me what the issues are that, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. so people can learn more about what's actually going on because i think you know people don't know how many people really are affected by disability i you know i think we you know unfortunately live in a bit of a bubble so how can you know, people mm. learn more about it how can they become disability champions and 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 then you know what what can they do to help
1: uh, well, I think there's an element of, you know, be, well, firstly, you have to be kind to yourself, because we don't, you know, we're not showing disability. So it's not anybody's fault for not knowing very much about it. But to, you know, to be the best disability advocate or ally to the disabled community, there's, I mean, oh gosh, you could just go literally as simple as you could just go on scope and read their impact statements. You know, there's plenty of facts and figures in there. I quote from them a lot of the time. Um The World Health Organization has a huge amount of literature on it that's, I mean, depressing, but also, you know, kind of shows the the breadth of the problem and from a global perspective. Um, And then there's just, you know, I mean, I say, I feel like I say it a lot. There's just, you know, diversify your feed. We're only shown the same things that we always look at. So you've got to really break out of that to, you know, to go and find it. I mean, literally, it can be as simple as just looking at hashtags, you know, just disability as a hashtag has probably got, I don't even know how many millions of views, but you know, it's that, it's that simple. And then you'll find, you know, there's so many people doing incredible um, advocacy. I mean, some of my favorites, so there's Alex Darcy in the States. Her Instagram name is wheelchair underscore Rapunzel. She is absolutely incredible. Um, And she does so much for it. And she constantly has her content banned, reported, suspended. She doesn't stop, like she'll still keep going, but um, I bet she shares all of that with everybody. And I think she's, she does it from a very honest, um, very real perspective, you know, especially when it comes to sexuality mm-hmm. and disability, you know, it's something that's, oh, goodness me, you know, it's, that's if we want to talk about taboos, that's definitely up there. And another great person um, and from that perspective is Andrew Gerza, who's a Canadian mm-hmm. um, disability act, activist. I've actually recorded a podcast with him, but I don't know when that's coming out um oh but he's oh, he's amazing yes, have he does his, to that his twitter account is just every day he'll just land a tweet and you're like you're in my brain you're just saying the things i want to say so i just i share a lot of his content <laughs> um he's yeah he's amazing and then you know you could if you felt very strongly about it you could buy the little book of ableism from unhidden's website which i've written and it does actually have a massive list of people and charities at the back as a reference section um to direct people to other people cuz You know, there's a billion of us globally. Um, I certainly would be foolish to try and speak for all billion of us. Um, But I think, you know, we need as many voices shouting as loud as we can. And that includes the non-disabled population.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and um, tell us, Victoria, what is your, um, um, the unhidden um, clothing website? If people want to check that out. <laughs>
1: yeah. And please and, and yeah. you share your hashtags and, and, and social <laughs> tags as well. Yeah, so it's um, unhiddenclothing.com. Uh, our Instagram is unhidden underscore clothing. Uh, mine is Victoria underscore is underscore unhidden. And I think it's unhidden fashion on Twitter. We've got a YouTube channel, which is unhidden clothing. And we're on LinkedIn as well. Although I still, again, it's currently, it's sort of set up as if unhidden is a person. Um, but I've done my best with Mm -hmm. tech. It's not, it's not where my strengths lie. I'm getting there, but, um one day I hope to have someone that helps me because uh, it's quite a lot to manage um, <laughs> uh, no,
0: so yes Before you're
1: designing like all the clothing and
0: do, doing everything yourself I mean it, 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 it's unbelievably impressive what you're doing oh, thank you and, and, and really I mean Victoria like thank you for, for, for leading the charge on this it's, it's such an important area and um you know thank you for speaking up and for showing up and, and, and really doing something quite extraordinary Thank you.